Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's start, as we always do. With our Patreon shoutouts. That's our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier. So that's a very big thank you to Genevieve, Lindsay, Pim Hatai, CD Mess, Ava, Sammy, and Alexis. Thank you all so much for your continued support as we roll into this lovely new year of 2024. So we crawl our way in. Yeah, crawl, <laughs> drag our steaming carcasses into the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can subscribe for free to get updates about our streams and public episodes. Or for as little as $2 a month, you can get access to monthly bonus episode of pixel therapy that's exclusive to Patreon. Um, for our Patreon bonus episode for December, we talked about uh, this year's game awards and the cozy turn based RPG Sea of Stars. And I'm sure in another couple of weeks here, when we do our episode for January, we'll be doing our annual draft. Or oh something in that vein. <laughs> and I am it's embarrassed coming. to speak about the results of last year. <laughs> Let's not. Um, yeah, and we might just uh, move forward. You know, just look, always be looking forward. That's that's what they say, right? That's the pixel therapy motto. <laughs> pixel therapy motto. What came before is dead. Um, <laughs> unless, of course, you want to become a Patreon subscriber, in which case you'll get access to overmost oh, over. I tried to combine the words over and almost, and those do not form a word. It's over like it. <laughs> three years of bonus episodes. Low. So in that case, the past is not dead, and you actually could get a lot of value Mm-mm. for your $2 if you want to You should to live in the past. You should live in the past uh, and come listen to all of our past opinions um, <laughs> and past podcasting. Um, if you're looking for other ways to support the show, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts uh, because every review there does matter for a small podcast like us. And you can also catch us streaming our Let's Play series, Pixel Therapy Plays, over on youtube.com slash at Pixel Therapy Pod, where we are live most Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern playing games like Alan Wake 2, Jassant, Thirsty Suitors, Lake, In Stars and Time all the fun things. Uh, so be sure to come on over to the Pixel Therapy Pod YouTube channel, like, subscribe, and click the bell icon to get notifications every time we go live. And of course, after all that, know that no matter how you choose to engage with us, we appreciate you being here all the same. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time to get cozy, pull up an armchair, feel free to lie down on the couch. <sighs> Let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you today? Honestly, Jamie, uh, just hearing you read all those names out loud, uh, I'm proud of our little streaming endeavor. That was something we started in 2023, and I know it's a marathon and not a sprint. Um, But I remember like when the thought of streaming felt like this insurmountable thing, like how would we Mm -hmm. even do that? And then now here we are having streamed a veritable list of great yeah. games and continuing to do so um we're streamers yeah it's like so thank you jamie <laughs> um and thank anyone listening i think i just yeah i don't know i'm just really feeling very thankful for anyone who chooses to pop in and watch or listen to our podcast get, yeah. get those end of the year new year feels and just thank you all 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, that's. I'm glad you take a moment to say that. It's been uh, really fun uh, just getting to play games together, which is isn't something yeah. we get to do very often because we both are more single player gamers. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of it has been fun. I feel like <laughs> oh, I get to hang out with Spencer a couple of times more times yeah. a week than I already was. Oh, it's great. Um, you know, I don't know how our partners feel about it, but <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, they're fine. <laughs> They've accepted uh, by now. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they got their own things going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at any time anybody's tuned in to a stream um, and been in the chat with us, it's been so fun. We've had a lot of good support um, mm-hmm. over on YouTube, lots of good comments and likes and some of our videos getting uh, quite a few eyeballs on them. And, you know, we're like I said earlier, we're small podcasts, we're small content creators. The numbers are not big, no matter mm-hmm. how you slice them. So we just feel so appreciative of the folks who are turning up, who are giving us a few bucks every month to check out our content, who are downloading, who are watching mm. the the streams. Like just the fact that anybody wants to come listen to us couple chuckleheads uh, <laughs> on a microphone or watch us play a game is, yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thanks. It brings me back um, to our. Oh, sorry. Say that again. I just said th- thank you. Thank you, everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was, thanks, I was everyone. wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was just, it was just reminding me of like 10 years ago when I would go to Jamie's apartment and lay on her couch and cry about my life and watch her play <laughs> uh, video games. And so now we get to do that virtually like every week. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> There seems to be less crying. Also, yeah, less I, I crying. I don't remember you coming over and crying very often, if I'm being honest. There was definitely a lot of talking. I, yeah. I do think in that sense, our partners are probably appreciative that we have this outlet. <laughs> that they yeah, don't have true. to be present in the room for. Yeah. I just remember the, what was it like? One of the first few times we hung out with your current partner, I feel like afterwards you had asked him if he had a good time or not. And did, he said something about like, yeah, it'd be fun to like, talk more next time or something like that. Just like basically implying that Spencer and I had sucked all the oxygen out of the room and he was like, yeah, no, they seem, you know, Jamie and Colt seem great. Like, maybe next time I'll get to talk I'll get to get to know them a little bit better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was good. Good stuff. So Um, we need this just as much (laughs) as as we need you. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, well, Spencer, it's, uh, somehow time for another game of the year episode. Oh my God. It is wild to feel like a whole year went by and that we have had our 2023 in games. Um, and so we're going to do our usual game of the year stuff. We're going to give out silly awards. We're going (laughs) to talk through our favorite games of the year. We're going to talk about our favorite character. We're going to talk about some of our gaming like patterns and stuff this year. Um, but I did want to just start by, uh, you know, we're not part of the games industry in really any way. We're just fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, even as a fan, it's been hard to ignore the massive amount of layoffs that have happened in the games industry this year. And it really, you know, I'm not 
the only person noticing or commenting on this by far. Um, but it's just been sad to see mm. this huge year of games. Like so many fantastic games came out this year. Um, the games industry made so much money. There's so many uh, big gaming experiences that released. And then on the other side of that coin, um, it's been an absolutely devastating year for layoffs in the games industry mm. and kind of, Watching those two things happen and and holding both of those things is something I want to continue to do because these games don't just come out of nowhere. Like they mm-hmm. take a ton of work and effort from a lot of people. We tend to uphold, you know, certain auteurs and directors as like mm-hmm. the celebrities of the industry, but it's the like 500 other people that worked on the game totally. that, that made it what it is. So Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that um, the estimates, um, kind of like the unofficial figures around layoffs this year are about 9,000 workers in the games industry lost their jobs uh, this year. And I pulled a a couple quotes here from an article by Ash Parrish writing for The Verge. Um, The article is titled 2023's Great Games Were Overshadowed by a Dark Cloud of Layoffs. Um, Mm. And she opens her piece saying layoffs are an unfortunate reality of any industry, but the scope and scale of video game layoffs in 2023 are far beyond a typical year. More than any specific video game or piece of news, layoffs have defined the past 12 months. Companies large and small have felt their impact. Unofficial figures estimate 9,000 workers have been affected. And at the heart of it all are corporations that valued growth at all costs, including people. Mm. Um, the article, it's not very long. I do recommend people go check it out. It's got a lot of links out to more detailed articles, but it's really just kind of a boom, boom, boom of like, here are some of the massive layoffs that we saw this year. And she also talks a bit about um, uh, how, you know, several years ago, Nintendo uh, got a lot of press for being a company that rather than laying people off, actually had their C-suite take salary cuts Mm -hmm. to prevent layoffs. And she kind of compares and contrasts that to Legend of Zelda uh, Tears of the Kingdom coming out this year, selling over 19 million copies in its first year, which is more than half of what Breath of the Wild has sold in the six years wow. since it's come out. Wow. <laughs> um, just huge fucking numbers. Um, and that development team is almost entirely the same. Wow. From Breath of the Wild to Tears of the Kingdom and what that can mean when you retain the workers mm-hmm. and place mm-hmm. the value on the people who are making the game, what that can do for your game franchise, for your games that you're developing. So it's it's a worthwhile read. Um, but then she wraps up the article by saying this, and this is part of why I wanted to bring this sentiment into our conversation today, but uh, Ash writes, the refrain of 2023 in games has been great year for games, terrible for game developers. I'd argue to just completely excise the first part of that statement, a year that is terrible for game developers cannot be great for games. So. Totally. Yeah. So I, um, we're gonna, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to mention, like, um, as you were talking about uh, what happened with Nintendo and and the sort of the same team um, creating uh, Tears of the Kingdom that worked on Breath of mm-hmm. the Wild. It just reminded me. I, I was reading about Outer Loop Games recently, the developer who made Thirsty Suitors, which came out this year. Um, and they actually, uh, I was just reading about the creation of the game and how, um, like, the same, like, most of the same team that I think their first game was called Falcon Age. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, they negotiated like or not as a 
as a team, they decided to go down to a four day work week and they made uh, their scheduling just a lot more um, sustainable and feasible. Like everyone was well rested and well fed and compensated. And the fact that the same team was working together, the developers have talked about in interviews how like when you have the same team of people working together over time and those relationships deepen and, and the communication deepens, um, you're able to make better stuff, make more interesting stuff because because you know each other as well as you're able to work together. Um, and just so that when you were talking about that, it just reminded me too of like how games, game making is such a prolonged, deep, often many year process. And so many people have to be working in tandem to kind of manifest this thing that is so many moving parts and so many minuscule pieces all somehow <laughs> magically coming together and like how important it is to continue fostering that. Like you can't just treat people as disposable and replace them one-to-one -one as if they're parts in a machine. Like people, games reflect people and people make games and, and communication and being in touch with one another is just such an important part of creation. And I know I'm getting very woo-woo right now, but like, I just do think it's all connected in, in the sense that like the quality of the games that we see, like so much of it is such a labor of love and of people all coming together around a shared vision. And we can't just treat it like manufacturing any kind of um, object. Like a game is a living thing in a lot of ways. Like it has so many people's souls and beliefs and hearts imbued into it. And so like, yeah, it just sucks that this year has been like this. And I also think it's going to have, you know, repercussions moving forward that we don't even see yet. And yeah, I just hope to see more studios like Outer Loop that are able to, you know, retain and, and have leadership that really sees the importance of fostering and building up people and not just trying to push out products um as uh maybe as futile as that dream might be <laughs> yeah yeah i hope it's not futile but yeah we do have you know there's there's canaries in the coal mine right now there's been several indie developers um who have taught you know uh zolivier nelson and and rami ishmael mm -hmm. just to name a couple people i've seen talking on on twitter about this but like there is a prediction that there is like an icing <laughs> a chilling mm -hmm. effect that's coming to the industry from all of this and mm -hmm. that this is not you know it's both nine thousand people losing their jobs like those all those people are not going to find new places to work mm -hmm. in the games industry like that's yeah. just a reality of of that number of layoffs and so you're you're not just talking about people losing their day-to-day -day job losing their job security the stress of worrying even for the people who kept their jobs worrying that they could be next in mm -hmm. another round of layoffs like all the stress and everything that that creates but then also the fact that like a good number of those people are not coming back they are just gone yeah from from the game industry um forever and I think 
that employee retention matters no matter what industry you're working oh, yeah, in. I for mean, sure. even for me as a manager working in live event theater in like an administrative capacity, uh, it is so obvious when we like when we came back on the other side of the pandemic and we were struggling with employee retention, it was hard. Like our mm. quality of service was down. Mm. Our employee satisfaction was down. The mm-hmm. strain that it put on the team members who were sticking around was way higher. Like when you don't have uh, an environment where employees uh, feel taken care of and where they can stay and work for a significant amount of time, they. Yeah. You're just constantly in a training and onboarding churn mm. and people don't flourish in that mm. environment. They don't have time to flourish in that environment or grow mm-hmm. or develop and get, you know, better. I don't know. Totally. So it's, uh, yeah, it's sad. Um, I feel bad for all the folks who lost, who lost work and have had to go through that. Um, and I similarly hope that, uh, there will be lessons learned from this, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of hope <laughs> that there will be, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> but let's but, uh, talk about some. Yeah, let's let's diamonds out, in the rough. <laughs> let's get out of the uh, this depression spiral and uh, talk about what we did love um, about games this year. I wanted to start Spencer by. Uh, just we're going to do some overview stats of our 2023 nice. in games. So first, could you let me know how many games you played this year? Oh my god, I played 27 games this Woo! year. What the heck? Is that a new personal record you think? I okay, I, I think I decided this year I need to start keeping better records cuz I don't I'm pretty sure you said that last year. Oh god, I'm so bad. <laughs> I just live in the present. It's chaos constantly. Um, Like we said, never look back. (laughs) Exactly. And I shan't. Um, I want to say it's, it feels like more than last year. Yeah. Um, I think the Steam Deck, I also recorded like how many were on each platform that I play. Uh So I had seven on Nintendo Switch, 14 on the Steam Deck, and six on PlayStation 5. So the Steam Deck was my best friend this year. <laughs> yeah, you really you really took to that thing. Yeah, love that I little thing. After all that, you really owe that person that gave you that. Oh my god, Vinny, thank you. You've changed my life. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, for me, my, uh, you know, I'm... I'm one of those people who tracks my gaming stats on backlogged.com. Highly recommend it. B-A-C-K-L-O-G-G-D.com. Like <laughs> uh, really love it. Great tracking site. Um, but I completed 31 games wow. this year. Nice. Games that I rolled credits on. Um, but there are additional four that I'm currently playing. <laughs> oh my God. What four <laughs> games are you playing right now? <laughs> uh, I'm playing in Stars and Time. Which okay, yeah. you're aware of, you're playing that as well. Um, I'm probably on the verge of shelving it, but I've been dabbling with a Highland song, um, mm. which I wasn't prepared to say too much about. It's like a mm-hmm. adventure survival game on oh, Switch. Cool. Um, I think it's on PC too, um, where you play a, a young girl. I apologize. I don't recall if she's Irish or Scottish. 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 Okay. Um, I just Googled it. (laughs) (laughs) And I know like if I heard the dialogue, I could recognize the accent, but anyway, Mm -hmm. um, the, 
it's yeah, it's a, she runs away from home basically, and is oh, okay. it, it's got like survival elements as you're trying to survive mm. in like the Scottish countryside as you make your way to like go visit your uncle. Seems oh. to be the storyline, um, and it's got some sections that are like rhythm gameplay to you, mm. where you like jump to the music. It's interesting. I. It's not grabbing me right now. But anyway, that's in the rotation. Dave the Diver is oh, in the yeah. rotation. And um, oh, actually, technically five games because I started Roots of Pacha, <laughs> which is a farming oh, game. And yeah. I've been uh, playing Power Wash Simulator uh, as nice. well oh, hell yeah. <laughs> over the holiday break to relax. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, that, oh, my God. <laughs> I was just I was just thinking about starting to play Roots of Pacha. Is that the like the one where it's like the prehistoric farming game? Yeah. yeah. So my partner's been playing it uh, or was playing it a lot. I think he's kind of wound down on it now. Um, but he, yeah, kind of got me into it. It looked really nice. cool. Um, it's got a lot of similarities to Stardew Valley. Um, mm. But you're like, yeah, you're like caveman style <laughs> uh, community. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, and then I had, uh, nine games that I picked up and started, but ultimately shelved or abandoned, um, including like Baldur's Gate three, um, Mm. stuff like that, that I, I played a chunk of, but, but didn't finish. So anyway, we're saying 31 completed, um, the vast majority of those were on PlayStation. Wow. What was your most played game this year? So I made a little list of, I guess... Hmm. So I think if I remember correctly, I just put I listed games that I spent over 60 hours on because oh, okay. um, that to me is like a lot. Um, <laughs> but that was Tears of the Kingdom, Sea of Stars, uh, Persona 3 Portable, which I forgot about. I was like, oh, yeah, I spent yeah. fucking like <laughs> 70 plus hours in that game. But I think the game I actually spent the most time playing, um, which I which is it's been a minute since I put it down was I was a teenage exocolonist. Um, mm. That game just really gripped me for some reason. Um, uh, for the, I think I really loved the TV show raised by wolves that was on HBO and very tragically got canceled. Mm. And I think this game reminded me a lot of the themes of that show, mm. uh, but you're basically mm-hmm. a human colony that's escaping, um, you know, a climate change and war torn earth to settle and colonize a new planet and you live the entire life of this person um and you're building relationships you're finding your place in the world you're finding your role in society and you're also contributing to what does society look like when if we're starting from scratch and sort of removing ourselves from established societal structures like capitalism or um you know like doctrines around certain religious majorities and political systems and things like that. Um, and I just found it to be very enjoyable. Um, so t- I was a teenage exocolonist. I remember I kept playing it for like weeks after we had talked about it on the show and yeah. So yeah. What about you? <laughs> um, well, I was trying not to chuckle when you said that more than 60 hours is a lot of time uh, for you to spend in a game. Uh, my uh, clocked most hours in a game this year was with Diablo 4. Okay. 
and that was 160 hours. Oh my god! <laughs> that also like fucked up my you know PlayStation sends you like your end of year stats. Yeah, yeah. And, like that's the like basically the only game I played multiplayer, but I played 160 <laughs> hours of it, and so PlayStation's like you're the you're the squad champ. Like you're oh my god, playing with your crew, and I'm like oh my I'm god. so not. I'm yeah. so not. But like <laughs> like if you compare that 160 hours to all the time I spent playing by myself. It's a mm-hmm. nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. But oh yeah, God. anyway, that really cracked Hilarious. me up. I really enjoyed Diablo 4. It's You're not going to hear it in my top five games of the year. Mm. But man, I had a lot of fun uh, watching mm. numbers go up in that game. Um, but then a, a somewhat close second, Tears of the Kingdom. I, I, you know, the way Nintendo tracks hours is weird. But they say I spent 115 hours or more. Okay. Or, Tears of the Kingdom. It's the or more for me. Like, which is like, it? What does that mean? Just yeah. tell me. Like, what, is it 115 or is it more? I don't know. Just tell me how many hours I spent. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, Diablo Four and Tears of the Kingdom most played games this year. Nice. Uh, I'm not mad about that. That's a. I feel like two ends range. Of the yeah. yeah, range. <laughs> um, what was unique about gaming for you in 2023? What changed or maybe um, didn't? I mean, I feel like in terms of what was unique about gaming this year, I want to say like my first instinct is like thematically, I felt like we had a lot of games about time loops and multiverses (laughs) and reckoning with the end of the world. Um, Yeah. Which topical, I guess. Double click on that. A lot of games (laughs) talking about like the collapse of society. Yeah. And like, who are we in? Who do we want to be in that? Um, So I guess uh, considering that games take several years to make and it's a very like focused and kind of siloed process. It's interesting to me that there seems to be this universal uh, shared unconscious like anxiety or mm. or dreaming or uh, future imagining that we all seem to be touched with across yeah. genres and interests that is Video funny to see manifesting. Moved beyond their dad, sad dad era and have yeah. entered, <laughs> entered the uh, existential crisis about the Absolutely. current climate apocalypse era. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's just been just been funny to I've, I feel like I've done a lot of introspection thanks to gaming this year um I think hmm I would say I think I experimented a little bit more with games that I might not have thought were for me um I think most recently I've started picking up this game called Against the Storm that I've been really, really enjoying. It would probably be entering my most played list if I had been playing the bulk of it near the end of the year and not the start of 2024. But it's a genre that's like totally outside what I would normally pick for myself. Um, but I think, I think honestly having access to Steam in a more portable way um, there's just so many more like smaller indie or like kind of like first release games available on that platform versus others. And so I feel like I've just been exposed to more. Um, I think usually in the past, I would sort of be like, this is going to be my game for the next X period of time. Like I wasn't really someone who liked to jump around between several at once, but I'm doing that more. And I think I'm just less than like I have to be monogamous with one game at a time. (laughs) (laughs) 
Nice. There's lots of love to give. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, For me, I kind of went the opposite direction this Mm. year. Um, uh, Well, more in terms of, I guess I would say that this year I was very much a creature of habit. I only four of the games that I completed weren't, I didn't play on PlayStation. Mm. And that is unusual that like compared to 12 out of like the 30 or so games I played last year weren't played on PlayStation this year it was like PlayStation was the only place I wanted to play I found that I had trouble like maintaining focus playing on other platforms or just Mm. like didn't enjoy the experience as much I've become so (laughs) I already am a bit of a Sony pony like I've always been Mm -hmm. a fan of Sony but like got that dual sense vibe like I just interface I've got the trophies (laughs) that I enjoy going for there and and I, yeah, um, you know, unless it was a, a really excellent game like Tears of the Kingdom, there wasn't a lot or you, Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood on Steam Deck. Mm. There wasn't a lot that was pulling me away and like holding my attention in other places. Even something like Baldur's Gate 3 uh, was not able to it may be a PC gamer for a week and then I fell off of it. Um, mm. But yeah, I've just really found that. I have a specific way that I like to play a video game and that holds my attention the best. And I struggle to, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about the Xbox interface, but I really, I just, I checked out way less on game pass. I actually ended up canceling my game pass subscription because I just wasn't Mm -hmm. playing things there and I'm just paying this monthly price. So yeah, I guess this year I kind of like, (laughs) yeah, I kind of like pulled back this year and just like stuck with where I felt the most comfortable um, and was still able to play. You know, I think that speaks to the library because I was still Mm -hmm. able to play, you know, basically everything that I wanted to on PlayStation and really only branched out for the few things that weren't there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what next year brings but this year i definitely like scaled back the variety of ways i was playing Word. i feel like with game pass what i mean by the netflix of games is like i feel like i just end up browsing 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 and yeah. not ready to commit to any of them yeah. um so i don't know what it, i don't know what it is about that interface it's too much like i'm on my windows computer yeah. i don't know what it is <laughs> yeah i'll like turn on my xbox just to look through the game pa- game pass library add things to my list maybe download a game and then while the game's downloading i'm like well it's downloading so yeah. i'll play something else but then i'll never fucking come back to play that yeah. game like yeah. honestly like the i i played starfield that was oh, right. several hours on xbox i didn't even finish starfield like mm. i just could i just lost me mm. um but like that was probably the most time I spent on my Xbox. And then after I canceled my Game Pass subscription, I had like a week left and I was like, ah, I'm going to bang out Cocoon real quick so, mm. <laughs> so that I don't have to buy that. <laughs> yeah. But like, I know when I got the Xbox and I got Game Pass, I was like, I'm going to be able to try so many games. Uh. And it really hasn't resulted in that. Like it did for a bit, but it's uh, like I do try more games, but then I just like I don't connect with them yep. as well. And I'll. I feel like there's so many other things that I could be trying that it's hard for me to stick with it. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to like deeply engage There's something about like knowing how much else is out there that I could be trying yeah. keeps me from like investing too heavily. And then I just like, I don't love the control. I, I don't know. I, I know I'm being like a whiny baby, but it's just like, <laughs> I don't like the controller as much. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not getting any achievements that I want to get, you know, I'm not buying into the achievement system. It just doesn't, doesn't yeah. keep 
go in there. Yeah. No, I think there's something there to the psychology of like the the vastness of choice and how that ends up freezing you because you're just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's hard to commit. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. sorry, Xbox. (laughs) (laughs) I'll certainly be booting it up for for Hellblade next year. Like, I'm not getting rid of my Xbox, but I'm just like, I don't need to be paying this, you know, fucking $18 a month or whatever the fuck it is for like the nothing that I'm playing. And I feel like I'll be more inclined to invest and stick with games that I paid for because Mm -hmm. I don't want to turn around and buy another game right away. I I don't know. Yeah. There's There's an intentionality there. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So let's get into our lists. We're going to do very similar to what we did last year, which is that we're going to share, we're each going to go back and forth, uh, highlighting five of our favorite games of the year. I know for me personally, these are basically my top five, but I don't know if that's for sure what Spencer's going to do. But we're going to save like our personal game of the year for for last. That'll be the last one that we each share. Did you put yours in any sort of order or it's just? Uh... Um, you know me, I'm just freewheeling over here. I mean, I, I put no, not really. <laughs> Okay, no, that's that's totally fine. You don't have to. You don't have to. So mine will be numbered. Spencer's won't be, except your number one is that's what you're calling your game of the year, right? The last yes. one that you'll do. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, so would you like to go first? Well, since yours are numbered, I kind of want you to go first. I want to I want to get a sense of what this framework is looking like. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fine. But we're still going to go back and like I'm going to do one and yes. then you're going to do one and back. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So we'll start with me. Uh, my number five game, uh, and this, oh man, picking number five was really hard. Cause I've got like a middle of my top 10 list. That is just three mm. games that oh god I feel very similarly about, <laughs> but this is the one that I, that I chose for number five. Um, and I'm giving this the best mullet award, oh, yeah. um, or more seriously, the most rewarding challenge. And that goes to Star Wars Jedi Survivor from <laughs> Respawn. Nice. Um, <laughs> this was in close contention, as I said, with a couple honorable mentions that I'll talk about uh, after we give out the awards. But uh, Jedi Survivor is the follow-up to 2019's Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, continued the story of young Jedi Knight Cal Kestis. Uh, it's an action-adventure platforming game with some exploration and open-world components. Uh, the combat takes inspiration from Dark Souls games, um, but is much more accessible than a Dark Souls game and has a lot more flexibility and and um, options built into the design of it so that you can tailor the game more to your needs. Um, but it does have that kind of like... Uh, it is meant to be challenging and mm. meant to like push you. But for me, at least, um, more so than what I've experienced playing any of the Soulsborne games, like I feel like it's right at the level of challenge that works for me. That's enough mm. to be hard, but I feel like I can push myself to get better at it. And so um, I really enjoy that process. I find it really rewarding playing those games to steadily get better as the game goes on um, to unlock all the different lightsaber stances all the customization that they added to this game that was new from the previous one was like so appreciated (laughs) i loved Mm. uh playing fashion with cal like dressing him like doing Mm -hmm. his hair choosing his beard um and that's why i said best mullet one of the combos that a lot of people did (laughs) you could get like the handlebar mustache and a mullet for him um i personally went with the windswept hair and the long beard that was the look that i chose uh but no the the game is just so much fucking fun and i found like of all the like quote-unquote big games that i played this year um 
big meaning both in terms of like hours open world and like triple a big game quality franchise quality um this is the one that's like stuck with me the most as i was reflecting on my list of games like it had awesome epic story piece set piece moments that were so hype and surprising um interesting characters uh the areas were very smart and beautifully designed i loved exploring and finding all the different collectibles doing all the different challenges that existed in the world um but i also really found the the personal like the story and the themes super compelling for me i know that they didn't work for everybody but i really like the way they've set cal up as this is very, very mildly spoilerish, but mm. the game definitely deals with, uh, you know, if you know anything about Star Wars, you know, there's the Jedi and the Sith and the Jedi are all light and the Sith are all dark <laughs> and you're not supposed to touch the other side of the force if you are one <laughs> or the other. And the game definitely has Cal exploring the dark side of the force. Mm. And um, it inspired me to read more about this concept of like a gray Jedi, which exists like within the larger star Wars canon, which I'm not necessarily familiar Mm. with, but um, I've always found the light versus dark to be such a, it's so binary. And so I think a really simplistic and it works in like the bigger star Wars films and stories, but I'm way more interested in this idea of a gray Jedi or someone who's using both or who's understanding like that there's good and bad. I don't know. It's it's cool. I'm interested to see if they continue to take the story there and if that's what Cal will become. But seeing him dip into the dark side of the force and that being a key part of the story uh, was cool. And also this like kind of overarching like narrative that and theme that a lot of the characters are engaging with, which is what is your role in opposing a you know, a massive oppressive entity like the empire and what is your individual role in that? And what can you possibly accomplish Mm. as an individual? Um, Cal being someone who is just like not letting himself rest, not letting himself (laughs) take breaks or find any other way out, just like constantly Mm. fighting, 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 fighting. And there being other people in his life who are like, yeah, I agree that the empire sucks, but like, that's not where I can do the best work. I'm going to go over here and do this. I'm going to come over here and do this. I just have to focus on my own shit. So I'm sorry. I can't help you right now. And um, I don't know, just having that conversation about how we all kind of approach dealing with oppression and totally um, and resistance and how that can look different to different mm-hmm. people as everybody finds their line. So yeah, I really liked Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Oh my God. It's really giving so much <laughs> for these times, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Well, that was a beautiful speech. Jesus. Yeah, thank you. Um, You know, it's funny, as you were saying that, it made me think, I think, back to your earlier question about what was unique for gaming with you this year. I feel like other than Horizon, Forbidden West, um, Burning Shores, and I guess Baldur's Gate 3, like... 95% of the games I played this year were much like smaller indies. I mean, we did play Alan Wake on stream, but that's like (laughs) in terms of 2023 games, like I really wasn't into as much of the blockbusters that came out this year. And so that was just kind of an interesting thing. I was like looking at my list and I was like, true. There's Tears of the Kingdom. That's true. Yeah. But like Spider-Man, uh, I don't know. I, I like I yeah. like Spider Man as a person, but it's just like not really my my kind of game. As a person, um, he seems like a cool guy, but <laughs> yeah, he's like my favorite hero. I just think he's yeah. like super awesome, but yeah. and just a great person. But like, um, yeah. And then um, 
I know Jedi Survivor, um, Starfield, mm, um, mm-hmm. like just it just wasn't my bag this year. And so that's just yeah. kind of an interesting observation. Um, and that was awesome. Um, I think um, if I were to try to, okay, now that I understand kind of what you're getting at with the five, four, three, two, one, I think um, I can sort of arrange mine in a similar fashion. So I think don't feel compelled, like do what, <laughs> do what you want to do. <laughs> this is an open forum. Um, yeah. Well, okay. I guess I'll, I kind of, the way I listed them out is kind of already going in, in sort of the order that I would put them in. But my first award is called the cheaper than therapy award. And uh, <laughs> that award is going to thirsty suitors, uh, which yes. I mentioned a little bit earlier coming from outer loop games. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the, the Outer Loop team has talked about how this is a game they don't think could have been made even five years ago, um, specifically a game focused on the South Asian community, um, a queer immigrant community, um, this story that is so specific to a certain identity and community. Um, and I think just the way it was executed, like, of course, I am not South Asian. My heritage is Southeast Asian. Um, but there are still some cultural through lines that just really touched me as I was playing, particularly around, you know, the presence of food being a way to maybe talk um, with your parents um, who are unable to tolerate having direct discussions about things like intergenerational trauma or um, or, or accepting queerness or even just um, being able to relate to the cultural differences of the fact that um, maybe your parent grew up uh, for me in the Philippines, whereas I was born here in America. And so we are coming up with very different ideas of like what it means to have respect or what it means to be an individual versus thinking of the collective family or different ideas of um, what our dreams look like or what our life goals should be. Um, Just the, um, the dynamics there among, um, family and partners and friendships and the pressures of growing up as like a, um, first or second generation, um, immigrant family. Like it's just having that all be there and not in a way that was aimed at educating anyone, but just existing in its own truth and not having to make any apologies or, um, or negotiations or compromises for itself to be palatable to a large audience. I just think it was such a gift to see. Um, there are a lot of um, writers out there who have been who have been talking about this from from their own perspectives, being South Asian specifically. And so, I definitely recommend um, you know going out and reading um, some of those pieces. Um, but it's just like, and, I, and we we linked a couple of those when we talked about it on the show. Um, but I just I really appreciated this game, um, not just for that, but also the fact that it was combining like Tony Hawk pro skater and like cooking and open world adventuring and like even like not necessarily dating sim, but just some of that, some of that sim element. Like there's 
turn-based battles that like the like it's there's cooking like it just it has yeah. it all um, there's like two games this year that had so many more varied mechanics <laughs> in them than i expected and that was thirsty suitors and dave the diver yes and only one of those is an indie game so. <laughs> yes no yeah. it's just it's an incredible accomplishment um it's also just an aesthetic dream i mean the colors the animation style the movement and life in the game the music, the music um the voice acting like it's a truly great game it's lovingly put together the details are all there um and it's telling a very heartfelt story without making itself palatable to people. Um, I think um, I was reading some articles about the game and, and one of the creators talked about how, um, like when making the game, he decided like, I wasn't going to listen to the little white man on my shoulder whispering in my ear, like, I don't know if this is going to be like if if most people are going to want to play this like i at a certain point you have to just make something for yourself and the people will come and i was just mm. like more of this yeah <laughs> like it's great um and i think especially in a year defined by uh layoffs and budget cuts and and all of that like it's it's incredibly courageous to commit to an idea that isn't being forced by capitalist expectations to be to be palatable to everyone um and i think if anything when you try to make something that will make everyone happy you end up with something that might be diluted or um bloated or just like uh not focused in its delivery and so i think thirsty suitors did something she's so brave for that um but also (laughs) like it paid off um Mm -hmm. because it's a truly great product so yeah, Thirsty Suitor is cheaper than therapy because uh, I think it provided me a space to <laughs> kind of process some of my own dynamics, especially with uh, my mother, um, and also sort of get the validation that, like, clearly there are lots of people out there who, um, you know, we're, we're going through something similar um, and have that to reflect on. And so um, I think it can be hard for those of us with um, strained or estranged parental relationships. Um, it it can be kind of isolating, um, and lonely. Um, and you, and you go through cycles of, of guilt and, and pain. Um, and so it's always nice (laughs) to see that you're not alone in that. Um, Mm -hmm. and that if anything, there's hope to be found there. Um, even if you can't expect your parent to change, um, you know, there's community, there's chosen family. Um, there are others who know what you're going through. So it's just, yeah, good game. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with thirsty suitors. Uh, it doesn't show up on this list, but it is on the larger list for sure. Yeah. Um, I meant to mention this, uh, if one of us says a game that the other one has on our list, we should pause and figure out how we want to deal with that. Okay. Um, I know like how the like remap radio crew does it, but theirs are numbered. So I don't know if this is how you want to do it or not. This is just, you're all listening to the sausage get made live on <laughs> air here. But like, so if somebody says a game that somebody else has higher on their list, the other person just says higher and then they okay. wait to talk about it until it gets to the highest that it's ranked. And then, okay. then everybody talks about it. So we can do something sort of like that, um, just so we don't have to give anything away. But I know your list is a little more flexible too. So if I say something that you were going to talk about, then I just name that and we'll we'll sort it out. Okay. Um, 
So moving up to my number four, um, my number four game, uh, which I'm giving the award of best cooking mechanic I've ever experienced in a game, uh, is going to Venba by by Visai Games. Um, Obviously, the story of Venba is fantastic. Uh, It's so well presented. Um, This is a game I think I talked about on one of our bonus episodes. Um, It's it's a short game. It's like an hour. I think two. It took me like maybe two hours to beat it and platinum it. and it's uh, told from the perspective of an immigrant woman living in Canada, um, raising her young child with her husband, and uh, is very much about like her. It's all told through scenes based around her um, or a character cooking food for the family or for other folks. Um, and so it very much talks about the immigrant experience uh, through it, um, through the role of food in culture, through how culture. Um, how food is one of the like lasting elements of culture that endures despite um, existing in a space where you're trying to be assimilated into Mm -hmm. a new culture. Um, I think there has been a spate of media um, that focuses on the experience of children of immigrants um, and what that's like having parents who are first, who are immigrants um, and the tensions that exist there, but this is a piece of media that is from the perspective of the actual immigrant parent and what that's like to raise a child in an environment where they are getting exposed to a culture that is completely foreign to you. And in a lot of ways, because of the, uh, like violence of white supremacy culture and the way people get indoctrinated into it, um, that child is like rejecting important elements of the immigrants culture in order to better fit in with, Mm. with their peers in the white culture that they're existing within and what that feels like. And to do all of that through a game where the primary way that you are interacting with it is through cooking puzzles uh, is really fucking cool. Like we're just really excellent storytelling, but then the actual cooking is so much fun. And what I especially loved about it is first of all, like the game is cooking, but it's not, I don't know. So many games that are about cooking are about the stress of it. When you think of games that are solely about cooking, you think of something like Cook, Serve, Delicious or like Diner Dash, (laughs) Cooking Mama. Like, and it's all about the the height, you know, the stress of being in a busy kitchen Mm -hmm. and getting meals perfect. And Venba is so fucking chill. Like, she's got the radio on uh, while she's making food. The mom does. And she has, you know, it's uh, it's all based in Tamil culture. So she's got the music going from uh, her homeland and is just hanging out making the food. It's just playing softly in the background. And it's all very relaxed. But the game element is that all of the recipes that you're working with in the game, or at least the majority of them, have elements that are either missing or mm. you're working with a recipe as anyone who's been handed a family recipe often <laughs> finds like this is what your grandma wrote down and it's not right. exactly but it's not exactly how your mom made it and your yeah, mom didn't yeah. write down the way she did it to make it perfect so you might know what the ingredients are you might know <laughs> what the order of operations is but that doesn't mean you know like when to flip the when to flip it in the pan mm. it doesn't mean you know when to take the lid off or how to properly layer it um all these different things. And so 
puzzling that out as you go through the game and that being a part of the main character like connecting with her culture and then eventually the son connecting with his culture through food too and reconnecting with his mom it was so fucking beautiful Mm. um and the art so great it had this like effect of um almost like paper cutouts um Mm. put put on the screen the food all looked so delicious Mm. uh just for a game that you can play all the way through in an hour or less um to still be sitting with me all these months later after i played it to still feel like one of the most impactful things i played this year um i think is really fucking impressive and i just i can't recommend enough that people go check this game out it's such a small time investment and it just packs so much of a punch and it's so genuinely enjoyable to play and put do the puzzles and get the food recipes all put together and yeah I think people should go check Bimba out if you haven't already. It got nominated for a game award, but it didn't win. Made me very Ew. sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just think this is one of the best games that that came out this year. That's awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. What's your next cool. one? So my number four is what I'm calling the Queering Imagination Award. And I'm giving that to Salt Sea Chronicles from Daigoot Fabrique. Um just, I think similarly to uh, what you're saying about Venba in terms of the art style, um, just this very dynamic um, and iconic, like uh, almost kind of like paper dolls, um, like just very artistically, <laughs> artistically, like what does that mean? But uh, it's like this colorful world and unique specifically to this developer because um, that art style kind of carries over from, um, oh my God, what is that game? Um, that Mutazione. We Mutazione, yes. Um, just this stylized, immediately recognizable style um, uh, of people who look kind of human, kind of not. Um, but yet their humanity shines through all the same. Um, I think a great strength of Salt Sea Chronicles was the narrative and writing and world building. Um, and the reason I'm giving it that Queering Imagination Award is because like some of the other games and themes we talked about this year, it is a game that sort of reckons with um, like what kind of society do we can we imagine or what do we want it to look like um, more so than what world do we live in today? Um, but the game kind of follows this ragtag crew of people who have come together. Um, they are seafaring individuals who set out um, on a journey together when their captain goes missing or the night before they're supposed to embark on their new boat. Um, and it just, it it talks about like, how can we how can we be in community together in all of the ways that that means like i think that um if i think something the pandemic especially has has taught me is that like community isn't this magical fantasy where everyone gets along and you just show up one day and are surrounded with like-minded people and there's some place some physical place that I just need to find where all of my people will be and I'll just effortlessly enter this community and everything will be great. That sounds um, great though. 
<laughs> does sound great. Um, <laughs> like, no, real community but takes that's utopia, work. Yeah. yeah, it's utopia, exactly. Um, like, I think a lot of us in the queer community like talk about like, oh, like, where is the queer community? Like, where is it? Can someone give me the directions, <laughs> please? Um, I need a GPS pin for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this idea that like, because we have a shared identity, that means we're going to get along and be best friends. Um, mm-hmm. Like maybe I thought that in my early 20s and I've learned now that that's just like not a thing. Um, but like real community takes work. It might involve conflict, which is not the same thing as abuse. There may be people who you don't necessarily like not everyone has to be best friends Mm -hmm. um community might mean having to do things that you don't want to do like having difficult conversations or doing labor for someone else that you might not want to do or um you know coming up with like holding each other accountable to things Uh, there are also beautiful things from community there's you know shared space there's um, seeing each other, like not just seeing each other physically, but, but, but seeing each other and being seen in a deep way. Um, and I think, um, you know, over the pandemic, we were, we were all very isolated. Um, and I think I realized that a lot of my relationships were sort of entrenched in, you know, the fact that maybe I did a lot of trauma dumping and oversharing on social media. And so there were a lot of people who followed me, but not a lot of people who cared to know me or like invest in time with me. Um, And over time, you know, I think sometimes the idea of community hasn't necessarily been what I've experienced in real life. But the more that I've invested in the community that I have instead of an imaginary one that I'm searching for, I've realized that it is very rewarding and that there are very real um, benefits and advantages to being in community in the one that exists and is real and not the imaginary one. I know I'm, I know I'm like, I don't no, know if I'm, great. I hope I'm you're not great. losing anyone, but, um, you're not losing I, me. That is your, your primary audience right now. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. But I think, um, salt sea chronicles just was a game that, that kind of was talking about that too. Like your crew isn't this, magical fantasy RPG team where the power of friendship keeps everyone together and everyone gets along and is the perfect counterpart to each other. Like there is conflict, there is failure, there is upsetting each other. There's, there's, um, you know, like dislikes and compatibility and incompatibility. And it's just felt very real in a Mm -hmm. way that I think is important um, it was important for me as I'm entering my thirties to kind of understand and internalize is that like, just because like, not everyone's going to be your soulmate, but that doesn't mean that there's not a reason to reach out and connect with each other. Like, I think if anything, um, being exposed to people who are very different from you, uh, is an important way to keep your heart and mind open to other perspectives within reason i'm not saying we should go out and like be best friends with people who want us eradicated um but i just think that like um the real world and real community is what's gonna 
keep us alive in the coming years, especially yeah. as we enter this very scary election year. Like I think of how, um, you know, very recently we had a horrible incident in our home where it flooded and um, there was literally water gushing into our home and we couldn't stop it. And it was right before the holidays. Um, and we were calling like the corporate numbers you're supposed to call, but it was a neighbor who happened to know the phone number of a person who lived in town, who was a plumber and like all of those dots connected and got us the help we needed within a couple hours. Whereas the numbers I was supposed to call and the processes I was supposed to follow were telling me that they wouldn't be able to come out for several days. Um, and it was through like, you know, if I hadn't gotten to know my neighbors, if I hadn't put myself out into the community where I live, if I hadn't, um, you know, reached out and and met people and made myself known and and been physically a contributing member of the community where I live, like I would have been fucked. <laughs> yeah. Like so much more fucked, <laughs> like yeah. unfathomably more fucked. And so like, uh, I think in a society where we spend a lot of our time online and virtual spaces, again, I'm all about accessibility and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having virtual relationships. Um, I just think that like to, um, if we're going to survive, there's a, a bit of um, being present where we live as well, whatever that could look like, um, that I think is becoming more and more apparent to me. And I think Salt Sea Chronicles um, just really reflected that. And I, I think I started thinking more deeply about it after playing Salt Sea Chronicles and realizing like, hey, maybe instead of being depressed about like no longer being surrounded with maybe endless... Um, queer and trans folks that I can swipe through on Lex or Scruff <laughs> or Grinder and have passing interactions or surface level interactions with and go party with and all of that. Like maybe that's not as accessible, but the people who are around me are a little bit more invested in kind of like my well-being, even if they don't look like the people that I thought I should be surrounded with. Like that's okay to um Mm. So, sorry, I hope this makes sense. I just think um, in how it imagines relationships, how it imagines the world, um, how it really queers all of that in the sense of like, um, we can we can all have different ideas of what utopia looks like, but we can still work together to get there. And also like... Um, family doesn't just mean everyone gets along all the time and no one ever argues and no one ever has conflict. Um, mm -hmm. I just think it's a really important coming of age thing to start wrapping my head around at least. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you said that all beautifully and I would just double click on the vast majority of what you said. Salty Chronicles was a very special, this like really special message and presentation of what it, of the re the complex realities of living in community with other people. Totally. Um, because everybody is a distinct individual with their own perspective and that, that means there will be challenges <laughs> when you're mm -hmm. trying to all work together to build a better future. Mm -hmm. But also shows that those challenges are very worth it. Yes. Um, my number three, and the one that I think could potentially be on your list, we'll see. 
which I have given the award of most worthwhile platinum or most worthwhile 100% mm. completion, uh, Sea of Stars from Sabotage <laughs> Studio. That's also my number three. That's also your number three. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> so we can both talk about it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, sea of Stars, we talked about it uh, on, uh, this is another bonus episode of, of discussion so folks really get, this is get just that a free patreon yeah. oh no i guess it's, <laughs> that's the two dollar tier right two dollar so tier yeah. our game of the year episode is just an advertisement for uh for, yeah. uh, for our patreon <laughs> come subscribe to us on patreon that was not intentional or plan um <laughs> but yeah sea of stars a turn-based role-playing game uh that draws inspiration from many classics in the genre such as chrono trigger super mario rpg and paper mario um, but none of that nostalgia works on me personally because I have played none of those games. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, I don't know if if I had played those games, would I love Sea of Stars more or would mm-hmm. I think it's super derivative? I don't know. But mm-hmm. I didn't play them. And I can tell you that I found Sea of Stars to be like completely um, and totally impressive um, as a game. Uh beautiful fucking artwork like awesome music that's still stuck in my head Mm -hmm. uh, even a few weeks after playing the game a really engaging uh story uh you know i think one of the main critiques that i could level at the game is that the two main characters are a little bit boring but i think Mm -hmm. they are it's well it's intentional and I think it's explained yes. within the context of the game why they are the way that they are as these very mm-hmm. dry traditional hero types. Um, and the larger cast that they surround those two main characters with is really amazing um, and varied. Um, the obvious standout being their best friend, Garl, um, who is just a delightful character all yeah. around. Um, a perhaps unrealistically uh, friendly type of character. I would say there's a level of cartoonishness uh, to the the way characters are presented. They're not mm-hmm. the most um, complex or completely human characters that I've encountered in the game. But that said, it had this um, sort of fairy tale... Uh, cartoon I, I don't know it was like it was all very heightened and positive and comforting like wrapping yeah. yourself in a warm cozy blanket and just enjoying like how friendly and heartwarming everyone was to each mm. other and that's mm-hmm. not to say that there weren't darker themes in the game so i like that it was able to have this cozy vibe while still making space for darker themes like um reconciling with grief um there's a whole all all the all the themes in meta narrative is stuff is great. Um, the themes of like everyone has a role to play uh, that we should accept and embrace our differences um, as strengths, not weaknesses. Uh, that grief and trauma can change you, mm. make you not your best self, and you can pass those things down to younger generations um, if mm. you're you're not careful with how you're dealing with your own emotions. Um, but also that you know if you process grief and trauma in a healthy way, you can use that to build resiliency and increased determination um, that it's okay to step aside and admit when something's too much for you mm. um, and follow the lead of of others who are younger, you know, that it's, you know, yeah. it's okay as someone who's in the older generation to step back and let the youth lead um, because they might have a healthier perspective or just be, you know, more attuned to what the situation needs. Um, so yeah. all that kind of stuff running through the game. I want to give you a minute to talk about some stuff. I know I just suck all the oxygen out of the air, but I absolutely no, yeah, love no. Sea of Stars, and that's why it's number three on my list. What do you want to add? Yeah, I mean, as someone who did play a lot of those games growing up, like I played Paper Mario, I played the uh, like the Mario RPGs, um, played um, oh my god, what was there was another one that it was 
drawing from, and I can't think of it now. But Chrono as someone Trigger who, gets mentioned a lot. Okay, Chrono Trigger. Um, I I didn't finish Chrono Trigger, but I like I touched that game when I was younger. Um, I didn't I didn't play much of it, but like I know like the, the sense of there being like two heroes who have kind of like red and blue was in Chrono Trigger, but in in Sea of Stars, there's like someone who has sun powers and someone who has uh uh. Moon. moon powers. <laughs> um, I like. I think it 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 was very nostalgic for me, and I think a lot of people playing it, it felt a lot like coming home. Um, and and being, it was very comforting, and the way things were hidden in the game, often in plain sight, and the game sort of felt like this puzzle box that rewarded exploration, and and felt very like there was so much more going on beneath the surface, which was deceptively simple. Like all of that was really hitting. Um, I, on the, in defense of, not that you were like um, disparaging them in any way, but kind of in, in this discussion of the, the protagonist being flat. Um, I've seen a lot of really fun fan theories online about how like, Hey, Maybe the reason they're kind of flat is because Garl is actually the hero of this story Mm, Um, mm -hmm. and how it kind of in a lot of ways. I think you mentioned especially how the game sort of subverts expectations a lot and often by choosing the more um, the more loving or like positive positive option where another traditional RPG might choose to go somewhere darker or um, more heartbreaking. Like this game Mm -hmm. subverts that, but not in a way that feels cheap. If anything, it feels refreshing um, Mm -hmm. and and I guess contributes to it feeling cozy. Um, That being said, the award I wrote for what I was giving it was the Cry to River Award because (laughs) um, I cried a lot during this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like full on sobbing yeah. through the stretch of this game. Yeah. Yeah. With like I just laughed, yeah, how, it, how it deals with death and processing <laughs> mm-hmm. that. And yeah. Yeah. And it, even like, so there's like a, a normal ending and there's also a true ending to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even that true ending, there's still a bittersweetness there that, yeah. um, sticks with you um mm-hmm. it almost reminds me of a lot of like ghibli films in the way that it like maybe the yeah. ending is happy but it's also just reminding of just makes you think about life and uh how we're all just specks in the wind uh but in a good yeah. way <laughs> yeah like just uh you know just this tiny piece of the universe and like the larger cosmic because the game has, yeah, it has like a much smaller scale, like our heroes on an adventure thing. But as the story continues and it, it like there's huge cosmic events happening, um, the, you know, the, your heroes are, are working towards becoming gods. <laughs> like there's, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. The, the game goes places. Yeah. Uh, the combat's yeah. super engaging too. I yes. don't know that we mentioned the combat, mm-hmm. but um, just as somebody who I play, there's many turn-based games that I play, but I really almost never playing them for the combat. You know, I think like the Persona games and stuff like that, even in Stars in Time, which we're both playing right now, which there's so much I love about that game. But I was thinking, you know, like, oh, would this have, if I had played this sooner, would this have been in my top five? Mm. 
And it's hard to say that it would because I'm mm. just finding the combat and the repetitiveness of it so grating. And mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest props that I can give to Sea of Stars is that I never got bored with the combat, even yes. though it is turn-based combat. Yes. Um, and they just do little things uh, like the way you are. There's just, there's just enough variety going on. Uh, for one yeah. thing, you can... Uh, press the button at certain moments to make attacks more powerful, to deflect attacks and things like that. So having that interaction with the, with what is happening is really useful. Um, but also stuff like the way you gain, um, mana, uh, Mm. to be able to do Mm -hmm. your more powerful, like magic infused attacks, the way you can boost certain attacks, like it adds this level of complexity around how you're deciding what you're going to do next to set up the move that comes after that. Um, yeah. Just in really cool ways that that kept yeah. it from from getting stale, despite yeah. yeah spending like seventy hours in the game, and it didn't feel grindy. No, which is not a big comp. Like most RPGs feel grindy at some point, and this yep. game really did not. Like that's no, a huge was, achievement. There was no point where I was like, I can't get past this next section. I'm gonna have to go kill yeah. smaller enemies to build up to get, and and had. Uh, all of those great, the relics, which introduce all these fantastic accessibility options where you can really mm-hmm. tailor the game to suit your needs. Um, yeah. yeah. Just really great. Really I think um, there was a Kickstarter funded game. So I just think it's mm. a really cool example of, um, you know, the success of crowdfunding and uh, yeah. a lot of people believing in this game and then seeing it come to fruition. It's just a really inspiring story. So, yeah. Yeah. Sea of Stars. Sea of Stars. Great game. Um, I guess that means it's back to me, right? Uh, yeah. Fans. Yeah. Right. So what's your number two? My number two. The game I never thought we'd get. Oh. Alan Wake 2. Oh. From Remedy. Yeah. <laughs> I Alan. Was, oh, Alan. I mean, <laughs> I was not expecting that we would ever see an Alan Wake again. Mm-hmm. And then Control came out whatever, a couple years ago and had those illusions to Alan Wake and it was so hype. It was so like, oh my God, are we going to go back to the Alan Wake universe? Um, and then we did and we got this game that I think mm. by, like, I don't know that it in just the stars aligned <laughs> and we yeah. got this game at the budget that was able to be put towards it, at the quality of game design mm. that was able to be put towards it. Um, there's so many... Ways in which this game, there's so many levels on which this game hits. I mean, the mm. vibes, I just, Remedy just nails the fucking vibes with their games. And I love, yeah. I love the vibe that they're putting out, the way the art and the music and everything comes together to really create an, a reaction in the player of the experience that you're having is chef's kiss. Mm. Um, I think the writing's great. I think it's intentionally corny sometimes. I think it's intentionally like silly. The tone, then the way they move between being absurd to being dark to being yes. interesting to being violent, like it all just flows so well. Um, <laughs> I, wrote, just I wrote in my notes just the red lights, just the way they uh, use red colors palette splashes, even the the design of the way the like names of the chapters will appear mm, on the screen mm-hmm. as you go through. That's all contributing to that overall like vibe that their games give. And I just love it so much. Uh, the audio design in Alway mm. 2 is so fucking good. Um, both things like the fact that they have a fucking, uh, well, that maybe that's a spoiler to say, but there's music in the game and it is well yes. used yes. in really creative and surprising ways. Um, but there's also things like the 
sounds of Saga moving through a creepy coffee themed <laughs> amusement park. And mm-hmm. there's a am- animatronic thing in the background laughing. And it's the most horrible, creepy laugh you could ever hear. And it's just coming out of this weird animatronic coffee pot. And you don't realize that as you're approaching it. But then you hear, you know, another sound behind you and you turn around and there's a Taken that you have to fight. Uh, uh, yeah. So fucking good. Um, just how weird the game is especially yeah. when it comes to alan in the dark so place and all the things you're doing over there um ati the janitor love mm. him being in this game a carryover for control from control love all the little nods to control and the way those two game worlds have been knit together it's all very fucking cool um there's so many great surprises in the game playing through it uh things that you're just not expecting i love the um integration with all of the fmv the fact that Mm. that game design and and game making has gotten to the point where you can in you can include real video with real like human actors on the screen and then change perspective to the same character in in game form and it doesn't feel super jarring like it feels like yes i was just looking at alan on the screen and now I'm looking at the Alan that I control and those feel like the same person, even if they don't look yeah. completely exactly alike, it is close enough that I am not feeling like jarred by this. Like yeah. this, this works <laughs> totally. Uh, and the way that, you know, remedy likes to intermix that f- video footage with video game play is super cool. Um, the set pieces, I mean, I know we're playing through it on the stream. I'm just so excited for you to continue to see the Same. things that are going to come. <laughs> like I get so excited about doing those streams because I'm just like, oh man, yeah. what's Spencer going to think of this next yeah. thing that happens? Yeah. No, and the great. game just keeps upping that ante with all the different set pieces and imagery that they use. Um, but even beyond all of that, I do. I think the story has like the narrative is confusing and I don't always know, like I feel a little bit not smart <laughs> when, mm-hmm. I, when I play Alan Wake. Cause I'm like, am I fully picking up <laughs> on everything they're doing here? Or is there something happening at a level that is beyond my comprehension? But it definitely, yeah. you know, there are, there's meta narrative and themes happening here that uh, feel like they're both a reflection and a skewering of like auteur culture. Mm-hmm. This idea of like the troubled writer, the great thinker with the dark side. Um, this person who's like, oh, woe is me and how mm. put upon I am by the greatness of my accomplishments. Yes, yes. Um, meanwhile, like everything that Alan touches and interacts with, like it's it's all like turns to shit. And mm-hmm. he uses the whole world, like everything that he encounters is just fodder for his stories. <laughs> and so it kind of feels like a takedown of this idea of like the dark brooding creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and more like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it feels like it's arguing for the fact that art is made by groups of people and this idea of the lone brooding person sitting in a dark room like writing and oh they've just got to work through their dark side and once yeah. it's in there like what can, what else can I do but be this dark brooding person um, and I can't have real human interactions because it's all just part of the narrative and and how much of like an ego trip that is and yes, yes. how weird it is that we um 
uh, like lionize these people, exalt that, yeah, (laughs) exalt them and celebrate them as like this way to exist. And it feels like it's poking fun at that and kind of being like, yeah, no, it takes a lot of people to make these things. (laughs) You're silly, Alan. Well, at the same time, like, I mean, so that's all like happening, but also it's telling this creepy story about this writer who's stuck in the dark place and has to write his way out. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a cool fucking game. And it's my number two this year. What's your number two? uh, That's excellent. Um, I just, before I say mine, I just, yeah, I just think I'm watching Jamie play Alan two on our streams. Check out our YouTube (laughs) at Pixel Therapy Pod. But, um, you know, I played Alan Wake one earlier this year and I remember coming out of that game, like loving to hate Alan. I was just Mm, like, oh mm -hmm. God, this has aged terribly. I hate this guy. He's such an, it got such an ego trip. He's kind of a misogynist, like what the F. And coming into Alan Wake 2, I love him. Like, I love this man. Um, and I just think the way that the story evolved, and I think I absolutely I love your read of it as sort of because because there was a humor un- undercurrent in the first game as well. Mm-hmm. But the tone of it was a little bit more. I don't know how to describe it. Just it was just a little less self-aware. If at least yeah. it felt I that way. It's a product of its age. Yes, it's, it's interesting to me that like. Sorry, I want to get back to you. It's just interesting yeah, yeah. to me how, at the time playing it, you know, a decade ago or whatever it was when I did, mm-hmm. um, it didn't it didn't feel self aware and the mm. humor didn't come through and it felt way more self serious. And now playing it like ten years later all that comes through. And I don't know how much of that is like us reading it now, or was that always like part Mm. of what that was? Like, I don't know if my media literacy has increased or if actually like in reviewing it 10 years later, it's like, it feels more absurd. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know how much of it was. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's just, it's, it's like an art film of a game. Like, yeah. Watching two, especially, and yes, playing one at this time, like I definitely feel like I'm much more able to appreciate how meta it all is and just the, yes, at times I don't know if I'm smart enough to be playing it, but I'm also like, <laughs> Sam Blake, you dog, you, you rascal, like this is a genius piece of work. Um, I just love it. And yeah, so I'm just very happy about it as well anyway i don't know i don't you said it better than me but it's a great game um my number two um i I gave it the built a world i want to live in award and that is for the cosmic wheel sisterhood um Mm. from deconstruct team Uh, just what can i say about this game another um so you're a witch a cosmic witch um living in space (laughs) and you've (laughs) been exiled (laughs) as one does um and you're part of this it's basically like human uh women across worlds can ascend to witchhood and you are granted pretty much godlike immortality um and your titular character or your main character fortuna um 
she is a skilled tarot card reader. And so you're building these decks that are actually, I mean, speaking of Alan Wake, you're writing reality with the cards that you draw. Um, and there is this concept of multiple timelines, multiple universes. Um, there's this concept of kind of restarting and, and striving for different outcomes. Um, you partner with this demonic godlike being um, named Abramar, um, and you enter a pact um, to try to break yourself out of exile because you've been exiled by your coven for being like too powerful, basically, and and having this power that is dangerous to time because of the fact that you can basically create the realities you want. Um, the game, I mean, it's the art is absolutely beautiful. Um, the writing. Uh, it reminds me of kind of like some of my favorite sci-fi and fantasy writers um, um, like Madeline L'Engle or, um, oh my gosh, sorry, who am I thinking of? And N.K. Jemisin, uh, one of my favorite um, sci-fi writers, um, just sort of like this approach to like the meaning of life and the infinite possibilities and and the pain and permanence of loss and how maybe we can't ever get what we want and and maybe love is not enough and maybe i could there's just like so much baked into it uh that makes you laugh and cry and and think about what is the meaning of life and what can I do as, as just me? And, and what if I wish for something so much that it consumes me? And, and what if I lose it all anyway? And like, it's just, it's so good. Um, it's not too yeah. long of a game. I think maybe wow. like nine to 12 hours. Um, but like some endings are, impossibly tragic and other endings are beautiful and lovely and oh yeah I, I replayed it like a few times oh, i got wow. a few nice. different um endings like and the endings vary so much like it's kind of amazing how how much variance is hmm. baked into the game um like so much more than i even thought um like i think i've i've played through and gotten like five or six very different endings and there are a ton more that i i've in the game subreddit i've seen people talking about like oh did this happen to you and i'm like what that can happen so another one of those deceptively deep games where um there's high replayability and there's just really excellent lessons to draw um but i remember when jamie and i were talking about it on the show or, or before we were recording i was like i'm pretty sure that's another patreon bonus episode conversation oh god <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I was like, I don't want to work. I just want to be like a cosmic space switch. Um, yeah, and Jamie was yeah. like, same. So yeah, it was just um, the world building is great. And um, kind of the the type of the culture among these witches and, and the um, the fantasy around like how their powers work and where they come from and, and the kind of cosmic connections and ideas about space and time and immortality and, and what that really would mean. Um, thinking about lifespans that last thousands of years um, and how, how that, how someone immortal might consider 
humans and um, like how our lifespans are so short and, and, and kind of the differences in um, like, you know, we look at immortals and think that they're magical, but they might also think humans are magical because of how strong we feel things or how, um, how bright we burn before we burn out and all of that. Um, it's just really fun fodder um, to take in. And so, yeah, Cosmic Feel Sisterhood. <laughs> That's awesome. I similarly love that game. I also love how different our lists are. That's yeah. great. <laughs> we'll see. I'm, but we both have the really, same number three, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious what uh what your number one's gonna be. But my number yeah. one, um, the one I just couldn't let go of. This game came out on January 19th, immediately was placed at the top of my game of the year tracking list, okay. and never left, never left the number one <laughs> slot, despite my uh anxious deliberations this past week yeah and that game was a space for the unbound uh from mojikin studio mm. um we did a public this one's actually a public episode uh <laughs> <laughs> conversation uh but, but if folks want to go back to it came out you know january february check that out yeah um but this is uh the, a game set in 90s Indonesian suburbs, um, which is a really unique location for a game just in terms mm-hmm. of what what we see in a lot of games these days. The studio is Indonesian. Um, beautifully detailed pixel art, like it with a really unique look to it um, yeah. that I absolutely loved. Um, is an adventure game, which... Those can be hit or miss. Sometimes they're really confusing. It's like, why do I need the duct tape to get the cat out of those? Bags? <laughs> I, you know, the, yeah. totally hype, you know, speaking out of my ass. But uh, I never felt frustrated by the adventure game mechanics in this. I really enjoyed exploring the world. Yeah. That suburb town that they built just felt like such a real lived in place. And um, I believe the the studio's director, lead writer, um, I apologize. I'm forgetting which which one he is. Has said that uh, you know it was very much grounded in like his experience, like his small town that he grew up in, mm-hmm. and wanting to like bring that into the game. And you really feel it feels like such a very real spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story of the game centers around um, two teenagers, uh, t- two high school students who are dating, um, who uh, get wrapped up in. Uh, a plot of superpowers and mm. jumping into people's minds mm. and world ending apocalypse level things happening. Um, and yet at the end of the day, all of that really boils down to this beautiful coming of age story uh, about the impacts of uh, growing up in a home where you're being abused and how that contributes to anxiety, depression, and other dark things and what that does to a person. Um, yeah. But that all, uh, that magical realism of the story and the unfolding as you work your way towards that being some of like kind of the ultimate reveals of the game um, is really good. And I love the main character, Atma, like playing as him and trying to help out his girlfriend who he believes is in danger slash is possibly causing the apocalypse mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and petting all the cats and uh, finding all of the hidden little scenes. And just there's so many characters in the game that you can 
do little things for to like make their lives better and just the way that all plays out the beautiful little stories side stories that you can find throughout the game and then the ultimate kind of ending story the puzzles um yeah. all super engaging um Atma early on gets the ability to enter people's enter people's minds and help them work through a thing that's creating a barrier for him in the real world. And so that's a huge part of the game is like jumping into people's minds and helping them resolve <laughs> some sort of trauma or challenge yeah. that they're experiencing. Uh, you know, like there's a character where you help him reconcile his uh, complicated emotions about his dad, like leaving to go be in the war. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a character who um, lost his brother at a young age and has never processed his grief about that and doesn't allow himself to remember his brother. Um, just just a couple examples mm. of some of the, the things that you do in the game. It was a game that I enjoyed so much that when I got to the end and realized that I had literally missed like two collectibles to get the platinum, I went back and played the whole fucking thing oh again <laughs> to get the platinum trophy and unlock the secret ending, <laughs> which was nice. a really beautiful little nod um, to some emotional stuff that happens in the game. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love that game and I never left the first spot of my list. And so, yeah, my number one game of the year mm. is a space for the unbound. Awesome. Uh, what a great game. That's so funny that I feel like that's my number one honorable mention. Like similarly, that game released, like, I feel like it defined the year for me. Mm. Like I was like, oh yeah, 2023, the year a space for the unbound came out and <laughs> I didn't stop thinking about it the whole year. Um, just yeah. such a beautiful, game like yeah i don't i can't say i can't add anything else to what you said but thank you for sharing that yeah yeah i mean i game. just i love a coming of age story i love mm -hmm. magical realism in stories yes. and then i love that it it took all those things and like it made a superhero story where the main superpower is like helping people resolve emotional trauma mm. Uh, that's pretty fucking cool. We need more of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, Atma's like an X-Men, except his X-Men ability is he can, he like gives people Super therapy. therapist. Super yeah. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. And it was just the whole build up to everything. It was so, um, bittersweet and had a feeling of a nostalgia for something, mm. for things I've never even experienced. Like, obviously I have never been to a small Indonesian town in the nineties, mm -hmm. but the, it, it felt nostalgic yeah. um for this like simpler existence sort of a mm. thing um mm -hmm. even while these epic things are happening and as the game turns the corner and you start to understand the underlying mysteries and what's really going on it was just it was so fucking beautiful it's it's another one of the ones that like absolutely had me bawling like mm -hmm. a baby as it, it approached its final scenes and yeah. just had such a beautiful and and cathartic ending um yeah I'm I'm trying to stay vague because I think I think the experience of the game is worth it and you mm -hmm. don't really want to be spoiled. Um, but so much of like where that game goes is crucial to what made it so special to me. So yeah. I'm just yeah. gonna kind of leave it at that. But that is Truth. my game of the year this year. Amazing. Ah, I love that. I think I don't have to spend too much time on my game of the year because I think I don't know, maybe I'm basic for choosing it, but <laughs> um 
So my game of the year was The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. You um, can spend as much time as you want. That's a fucking awesome no, game. I, mean, I wait, think, did you finish it? Okay, I did finish it. Yes. Okay. We haven't talked about it. Yeah, no, but yes, I did finish it. it. That ending yes. is like Oh my god, it's so good. Gonna, so this is so funny because Tears of the Kingdom I, sorry, I'm interrupting you. I should like no, talk about ahead, you. Tears of the Kingdom was going to be like my top honorable okay, mention yeah. too because the fucking ending of that game is the most hype thing I have ever experienced oh, I know, in a video game. I know. So it just And I just was uh, waiting so long to scream with you about it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. T- t- why is Tears of the Kingdom your game of the year? Um I think for me, it just comes down to I can't I can't talk about this game without crying. Uh, I think it just comes down to the fact that the Legend of Zelda games have been such a through line throughout my entire history with video games, period, Um, like all the way back to like Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, um, Skyward Sword, like a lot of these games defined my childhood. They were places to escape the abuse that I experienced in my life. And it was also the place where I started to piece together before I had language to describe it, like who I was. (laughs) And so, um, you know, the fact that this game came out and people immediately, like the fact that Link as a character was designed to be um, identifiable with anyone, regardless of gender. And the way the game, maybe unintentionally at times, queers gender and gender roles um, in this hero who is not this hyper-masculine, violent, ultra-buff, ultra-virile, like, person. Um, It's just such an important piece of media. Um, and I think, you know, the, the themes in the game of, of the cyclical nature of a hero and a princess and their kind of cosmic dance throughout games. Like these games have a lot of the same, maybe like high level arc. Um, but each one has its own era and like its own, taste and sound and uh like it never gets old even though we've we've all played like those of us who have played legend of zelda like we know what we're getting into and yet and yet nintendo keeps finding ways to make it new um i think especially when we talked about the mechanics in tears of the kingdom like with um the fact that ascend um this like game breaking uh mechanic where you can just bop through <laughs> any like any surface or ceiling and, and come how out many other games i wanted that in this year <laughs> yeah it's just like god damn i just look up and be like i know like, where's the just descend yeah like the physics in this game the ways in which you can take pieces of the environment and build almost endlessly um different tools and vehicles. There's a whole subreddit called Hyrule Engineering where people will make the most insane (laughs) contraptions. Um, And the fact that, again, that that mechanic of Ascend, the fact that that existed as a way for developers to catch bugs and they were like, you know what, this is fun. Let's just put it in the game. Like, I think it's just such a triumph of all of the most fun and enjoyable parts of game making and the joy that went into making this game. And on top of that, 
at what it means to so many people in the queer and trans community, um, especially at a year where we're seeing more and more <laughs> rights taken away um, and hate rising towards us. Like, uh, I just think this game meant so much more to me than I can say. Um, and I played it for a long time as well. It's been it's one of my most played games. Um, but like, yeah, it's just the combination of nostalgia. It's the combination of mechanics. It's the combination of um, just the fandom um, and how much further, um, you know, it, that takes it, like how people can identify with Link and find the strength to come out because of Link or um, through playing as Link, figure out things about themselves that, like me, they may not have had language for yet, but there was something there that gave them the strength to look deeper. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop because I can't stop crying, <laughs> but uh, that's my game of the year. <laughs> yeah. Tears of the Kingdom was a fantastic game. And I did not think going into, like I wanted to give it a good shake. I wanted to give it a yeah. college try, but you know, we've talked breath of the wild did not connect with me. Yeah. I, I could, could not, not get, get into, into that. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was so much in tears of the kingdom that it, it just, the world felt so much more alive. And I think mm -hmm. circling back to the thing we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, like this is what can be achieved when you retain your team, when you, they didn't build, they did build so much. Like there's so much new in Tears of the Kingdom that wasn't there in Breath of the Wild, but there mm -hmm. were so many naysayers before the game ever, ever came out who were just annoyed that they, it was going to be on the same map as Breath of yes. the Wild. And why would you do that? And it's just like, when you give your developers time, mm -hmm. when you keep that expertise, like, look at what they can accomplish mm -hmm. when, they're, when they're given time to just make something that already existed better and the whole effort doesn't have to be on reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Like there's, there's so much to laud about the game, but uh, just a couple or like one of the main things that I'll add is with that lived in feeling of the world, there is such a sense. I know we talked about this in our public episode that we did on, on tears of the kingdom too, but what still really sits with me with that game is uh, aside from the hype moments, which are fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, just the sense of community and rebuilding mm. that exists in the game, the way how mm. everyone you encounter, the way they are, they're actively, uh, with Breath of the Wild, like, the world is taken over by, I'm gonna fuck Ganon. up, and Calamity Ganon, I think, mm -hmm. it's like a, some specific version of Ganon, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't, I don't know these games very well. <laughs> But there, it's there's nobody anywhere. Like there's no people anywhere. People yeah. have been thrown aside. Like they're living in fear. Like they're not out in the open. Yeah. That makes sense for that world. But the impact that it creates is like a very sparse and desolate world to explore. And what yeah. was so refreshing about Tears of the Kingdom is there are literally people everywhere trying to band together and rebuild their communities, rebuild their homes, rebuild their towns, their villages. Um to in the wake of the events of the first game and Ganon being um this, you know, just fought or whatever. And yeah. even even Link's journey to build this team of mm. heroes whose powers come from their ancestors. I don't know. It just all feels so much more connect, like connected yeah. to the, the lore and history of the land and rooted totally. in the people and cultures that exist. And that was so much mm. more interesting to me than this, what people were so taken with in breath of the wild was this idea of like, 
oh my God, that's this huge map and there's a mountain over there and I could just go climb that if I want. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, but what the fuck is there to find on that mountain? Like (laughs) people were so taken with what they could do, but I didn't feel like there was anything like there was anything deeper than that yeah. beyond the option to do it. Who am I climbing this mountain for? Yeah, I, yeah you get excited <laughs> that you can climb a mountain. I want to be excited about why I'm climbing the mountain. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Tears of the Kingdom gave me great reasons to climb the mountain. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I was not expecting that to be such a such a experience that resonated with me on so many levels uh, yeah. this year. Preach. So that's a great mm. number one pick. Thanks, buddy. What do you want to do next? Do you want to do honorable mentions or do you want to do favorite character? Yeah, let's do because I mean my honorable mentions list is pretty short. Um, okay. So let's let's start there then. Okay. Um right? Is that what you were yeah. saying? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh well, I said Tears of the Kingdom, high on my honorable mentions list. And just like that. So for the number five slot, I was really debating between Jedi Survivor. Spider-Man 2 and Tears mm. of the Kingdom for me. Those are like the three like big, like meaty uh Jedi Survivor you wouldn't quite call open world, but pretty close uh mm-hmm. games that I played this year. Um and I liked them all for really different reasons. Like Spider-Man 2 gets an honorable mention for just being a fucking blast from start to finish. That game is so fun. Yeah. But I think um I Janet Garcia, and I don't remember which podcast I heard her saying this on, but she was talking about Insomniac games as being like so polished as to the point where they don't, there's like no friction with Hmm. them. And I think that's part of why these games never end up being like my absolute favorite. Hmm. They're like, I can't, there's nothing wrong with the game. Like functionally, (laughs) it's like a a perfect. And there's a lot of hype, fun moments in the game too. And like, I really like miles as a character. I like, you know, Peter's fine. particularly Peter, but I love Miles as a character. The story I thought was good, but there's, I don't know, it has no sharp edges Mm. um, is, I guess, the best way to put it. And for me personally, while I can say that that is an incredibly well-made game, it just doesn't put it very high on my list at the Mm. end of the day. It's not something that I'll I'll be chewing on or still thinking about, you know, even a few Mm. weeks after playing it. I was like, what happened in the... (laughs) Like, it just doesn't stick with you. It's like candy Mm. or or bubble gum, but it's It's a lot of fun. It's like the Pixar of games. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Um, It's a lot of fun while you're you're experiencing it, but it doesn't last um, Mm. after it's over. And then, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom just being such a fun investment and so much creativity there. Um, I yeah, I don't know how you want to do this. Should I just run through my list and then you'll run through yeah. your list? Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to shout out Dredge for just being it's on I my think, list like, too. <laughs> perfect fucking game. Yeah. Like it just yeah. like every like perfectly executed. Like no yeah. notes, no, no notes. Like I just think like Dredge awesome. knows what it wants to do and just mm. does it perfectly. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed myself so much with that fucking game. Yeah. Uh, do you you said it's on your list? Do you have honorable mention? Yeah, yeah it's basically the same. I mean, stylistically, <laughs> uh, narrative-wise, um, it's got a great twist. It ties itself into a pretty neat bow at the end. It doesn't over-explain itself. Um, it's like... Doesn't I overstay think, its welcome. It's like a no. great length. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
addicting game loop without being like, and we're going to try to keep you here forever. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we're, we're going to make a really fucking enjoyable game and then you're going to be done and we're all going to shake hands and call it a day. Thanks for playing. Like, yeah, I loved it. it like left me wanting more in a good way. Yeah. It was like I finished it. I got the platinum and I wasn't like. A lot of times, you know, by the time I pop a platinum in the game, I'm like, okay, ready to uninstall this. Yeah. I was like, I could go for more dredge, but I also yeah. feel sated. It's like, it's like when you when you when you stop eating when you actually should when you don't mm-hmm. feel hungry, but I don't feel overstuffed. It was like perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. Um, I, Season: A Letter to the Future mm. is another game that has just like really has stuck with me throughout this mm-hmm. year. It's another one of those ones that's about impending apocalypse. It was just an absolutely fucking beautiful game. Yeah. I think in in retrospect, one of the things that's kept it from being higher on my list is like I still don't feel like I know where the main like I, the main character didn't have any reflections on what they were experiencing. Like it's mm. there's so much beautiful stuff that you you went through and you witnessed and there was this like great feeling of like witnessing it all happening and that being very like bittersweet and beautiful and relishing in the beauty of of an apocalypse in a dying world but i don't know i guess especially when you compare it to like what we're experiencing you know i think of something like jasant that had so much more grief knitted yeah. through it yeah um there was like not as much room in season for for grief and anger and some of mm. those more negative emotions, but I still found it to be like a really beautiful and impactful game. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised by how much I got into the like journaling yeah. mechanic in it. Um, and then some quick shout outs. Dave the Diver. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> great game just what a surprise like (laughs) so much different shit that that game is doing and it does it all really well um god of war valhalla for just like dropping this random god of war ragnarok valhalla so this is like the (laughs) dlc that they surprise dropped at the game awards like in december um it's basically kratos goes to therapy it's not what i would have necessarily wanted if you'd like asked me to describe my perfect dlc for god of war ragnarok but it was also like really fucking enjoyable to play and mm. had way more story than I expected it to have when they're like, we're putting in a roguelike mode and like going back and working through Kratos's past um, as someone who played the original games, I found it super rewarding. So I was mm. just like this cool little surprise in December. Um, and then goodbye volcano high. Uh, mm-hmm. because I am still same. listening to that soundtrack. <laughs> yes. Same. <laughs> repeat. Um, yeah. What, what were your honorable yeah. mentions? So yeah, goodbye Volcano High, Dredge, um, Chance of Sonar is on there because I just yeah. thought um, just a great little latecomer game um, with again really excellent storytelling mechanics without a single word being spoken. Mm. Um, and then we talked about that in was that a public episode? Yes, yes. Chance of Sonar. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was that's the one we released <laughs> last week. Uh, yeah. After much drama trying to get it recorded yeah <laughs> and um a space for the unbound was was on my list as well um and we talked about that so nice yeah just yeah great great indie year <laughs> yeah so many so many fantastic games released this year all right our final award to give our favorite character okay do you, so I hard. want you to go first because you said okay. you've got a list. <laughs> yeah, I have a list. Um, okay. <laughs> so I have a list that I told Jamie I'd try to pick on air. Um, so okay. 
um, Abramar from the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood, just this godlike behemoth behemoth, um, who kind of looks like a scorpion uh, and a djinn uh, mixed together. (laughs) um, And just the, the surprising humanity and sensuality and... Um, yearning and empathy coming from this this godlike being. I just thought it was masterfully crafted. Um, I did think he was kind of hot. So there's that. He um, is kind of hot. And, and like I love the way he the animation of his laugh. Um, yes, as his his fangs and his stuff. His fangs too. and the smoke trailing out or whatever. Yeah, I, that's what I'm remembering. He was but under maybe that's consideration wrong. for me for sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tyler from Thirsty Suitors. Um, mm, okay. Yeah. Just hot goth trans gf <laughs> like hello thank you yeah i am yeah. fed um <laughs> rauru from tears of the kingdom yes, because i'm a furry i guess those, those hip bones <laughs> like there was no reason for this king this goat like, deer man goat fox deer man to be dripped out yeah. and just oh, the like Oh my god, and weirdly hot. It's fine. Um, And then two characters from In Stars and Time. Oh, okay. um, Isabeau and Sifrin. Uh, and like the fact that I just started playing this game like two weeks ago, but these characters have me in a chokehold is like just a testament to the character building and narrative strength of In Stars and Time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like a game made in RPG Maker, um, and it ha- and it manages to be like so much. It's so good and and so lovingly crafted, and these characters feel real, even though I'm looking at black and white 2D illustrations. Um, and I think I know these characters just from listening to them talk and seeing how they interact. I'm like, oh, I see myself in you guys. Like I see my neurodivergence. I see my queerness. I see my transness. Mm, I see mm -hmm. my anxiety. Um, I see the ways I interact with my friends. Um, and it just all feels very grounded. Um, and again, it just speaks to like what happens when art is made by us for us and, and that kind of thing. Um, so those are my, that's my list. Um, Sifrin was really close to being mine, uh, like really close. I just, yeah, identify with them a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just this kind of like naughty, uh, not super vocal, um, like naughty and like a, they're yeah, not interested the in following rules yeah, necessarily. Yeah, that's the aspect of him that I maybe don't like dive as much with, but all of the like anxiety, <laughs> the insecurity. Yes. You know, I don't, I don't know how far you're in the game. I don't want to spoil anything either, but there's conversations that uh that Sifrin has with themselves mm. later in the game like there's a moment in the game where you can go into a bathroom and you just get like a private moment to yourself mm. to think and some of those conversations that Sifrin like has with himself are so fucking like I'm just like oh my god did you just pull that right out of my own fucking head mm-hmm. um 
so yeah there's a lot lot there yeah i don't yeah. quite as much but like using humor to diffuse everything and not yeah. like being super emotionally vulnerable in most contexts like that mm-hmm. i identify with sorry totally. i didn't mean to cut you off though no you're good we love a chaotic heave so <laughs> different yes i think honestly my heart is saying isabo and so that's where i'm gonna go for my okay. pick for favorite character i think okay. um, i immediately bonded with this like trans mask coded himbo um and like his puppy dog energy his unfailing optimism the little things that i associate with expressions of of trans masculinity like really came through um and just his ability to very easily be in touch with his vulnerability um Mm. and just being such a great support system and just an overall great person. Like I just, I've, I think he's my favorite part of the game so far. And so, yeah, it's my favorite character. Yeah. I mean, just as a, as a presentation of like a positive, a positive version of masculinity period. Yes, like period. He's, he's so great. He is the yeah. defender of the team. He's like the big buff guy who's going to hit things hard. And mm-hmm. yet he is also in the dialogue, in the narrative that happens. He is the most intel- emotionally intelligent member of the team. Yes. The conversations that he has with people, the things that he notices that are going on with other people. There's, I remember there's like a point later in the game where, you have this side conversation as Sifrin with Odile, who's an older woman who's traveling with the party. And she's also she's a researcher. She's a little more um, like type A, like mm-hmm. a little more like, diso- you know, holds herself back, is not does not speak very emotionally. And she like comments on the fact that, like, thank God we have Isabeau here to like mm-hmm. be the emotionally intelligent person in the party and like keep everything smoothed over and recognize when people are having a hard time and engage yeah. with them. Uh, and Odile saying this to Sifrin because she's like, you know, that's not really our bag. So thank God that we have yeah. Isabeau here to do this. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, it's such a great, it was a great choice to combine those characteristics mm. into one person. Mm-hmm. Um and and show that like being a guy does not mean being uh like emotionally distant totally yeah totally all right what's yours hit me uh so i chose as my favorite character of the year and it was a tough decision um but i chose song so me aka Mm. songbird from cyberpunk 2077 phantom liberty oh yeah Mm -hmm. um voiced by minji chang um and i chose uh Song So Me because <clears throat> I just found her to be one of the most, you know, cy- cyberpunk is a game I have a lot of complex feelings about. Again, this is another Patreon bonus episode if you want to go listen to <laughs> all my complicated feelings about cyberpunk the game. But the mm. one thing that I think that they do really well is to present very well-rounded, fleshed-out human characters and to present those in a game where the focus is on a very cinematic and realistic ex like presentation of human characters. And I think that is what the game excels at putting you in a first person perspective, interacting with characters who feel and look like real humans. Mm -hmm. And the way that that is able to, I mean, you know, we're talking about in stars and time, which is black and white pixel art. And I can feel very connected to Sifrin and Isabel. This is not like you can do that with, pixels and with 
lines of text just yeah. as well. I don't think one is better than the other, but I do think that is what cyberpunk does really well is presenting characters who look and act like humans who feel like fully acted and that you are who you are, someone you are really interacting with. Mm-hmm. And, um, Songs tell me like her story in the game is pretty tragic. Um, they give you a lot of paths forward with her. You can really decide. She is a she's a net runner who works for the government. Um, we're basically like the game's version of the FBI. Um, but she's someone who was who has been under government control since she was like 19 years old. Um, Netrunners are basically like hackers. They're people who have cybernetic implants that allow them to uh, like mentally enter the internet is mm. perhaps the best way to put it <laughs> and um like interface directly with the the internet and with um other like mechanical objects and stuff so she was so good at what she was doing that the government like scooped her up and got her to work for them for a long time and now mm. she's now she's in a situation where she's been kidnapped and basically the government is weighing their options of whether it's better to get her back or to put her down so that she's not a danger to them. And so that whole, like the themes of, uh, I don't know what it means to be like a soldier and how Mm. institutions of power will just kind of use people up until, you know, use people up and build people up until they no longer feel like they can control them. And then they'll just throw them away um, just as quickly, which I think is, you know, those are not completely uncommon themes. We see that in a lot of media, but the way it's represented through Songbird's story um, and the complexity that, that she's allowed to have as a character uh, was really cool. Um, you don't go through that at, at different times in the narrative. You pity her, you hate her, you uh, <laughs> you can choose to you can make a lot of different choices about what her end is. Like if she gets away, if she gets turned back into the government, Mm -hmm. if she's pushed to become a monstrous version of herself um, Mm -hmm. and has to be put down, like you make decisions that affect those different paths that she go through. And because of how well she's written and performed, um, those all feel like really legitimate paths as you move through the story for her to possibly take. So that complexity and just, yeah, there's something very, uh, powerful about sitting face to face with a character who's being fully acted and like performed right in front of you. And you have that first person view. It's like very immersive and feels Mm -hmm. very connecting. Um, So yeah, she was, she was my favorite character in games this year. Not because I thought she was like necessarily a great person, but because she made, made me feel as complicated as I might feel about like another real human being in my life. (laughs) Um, Just felt really, really real and complete very cool yeah i remember you talking about that game and how how great it was so um yeah i didn't (laughs) i i haven't played uh, cyberpunk games but i love hearing you love them (laughs) (laughs) thanks uh well that is it that was our 2023 year in games i can't believe it's over wow um and we'll be we'll be back in another year with the whole new list that's right um, that will surprise us uh mm-hmm. again i'm sure i'll be really Can't interested wait. 
(laughs) Yeah. I'll be interested to see how things shake out this year. I feel like last year we knew so many big games that were coming out and yet it was the smaller games that ended up stealing the show for me. It was like all the stuff Mm -hmm. that I didn't know that was coming out. I mean, Space for the Unbound. I didn't even know it was out until after it was out. Um, All these like smaller games that we weren't expecting that just stole the show. So this year we're going into the year with really only having a sense of the first few months and then yeah, what will happen after that? I don't know, but who can say <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be, uh, there'll be lots of great stuff to play. Mm-hmm. And if not, we can catch up on all the shit we missed from this past year. Cause I'm sure. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, time is up for today's session of pixel therapy, but thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can sign up for free to stay up to date on everything we have going on, including our weekly streaming schedule, or subscribe for as little as $2 a month, and you can snag that sweet monthly bonus episode. We'll be live streaming video games on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, this week and every week at 8 p.m. over on Pixel Therapy Pod's YouTube channel. So give us a subscribe there and ring the bell to get notifications every time we go live. And of course, you can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter, aka X, at Pixel Therapy Pod. Uh, That stuff is just as important, and we do appreciate it just as much. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Um, this week, I want to tell you all about Connecting Humanity. Um, they are a nonprofit organization dedicated to connecting vulnerable people in conflict zones by distributing eSIMs, um, which are digital SIM cards that allow for connection to a cellular, a cellular network, bringing vital communication to family, between medical providers and patients, and more in Gaza and beyond. So you can check them out on Instagram at Connecting Humanity. And of course, we'll drop that link in the show notes. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. Therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.